What's up, sexy, savage, Flomo sapiens? This is yours truly, Tony Real, and welcome to the Hangry and Horny podcast. Before I get to my next guest, in which I flew all the way to Washington, D.C. from San Francisco, California, a quick word for my sponsors of the show, F-Bomb Nut Butters. Check out dropanfbomb.com and look at the amazing selections of different macadamia-based nut butters. They have flavors like macadamia with sea salt, one of my favorites, salted chocolate with sea salt. They have a macadamia pecan and they also have a macadamia coconut with sea salt. These guys, Ross and Kara Taylor, they're just amazing people. They had uh, some nutritional requirements that they had when following the keto or ketogenic lifestyle and decided to make their own nut butters. And their story is amazing. They actually been on the podcast early on. So check that out and listen to their story. And uh, this is all about eating healthy fats, you know, fats was been given a bad rap in the past. And uh, it's actually really cool to see that more and more people are starting to see that fat isn't that bad for you, especially uh, good healthy fats that come from uh, grass-fed type of meats and butters, including uh, nut butters. So go to dropinfbomb.com and use the code word flow real f-l-o-w-r-e-a-l and get 20 percent off of your first order they also have different oils now that include avocado oils mct oils that you can put into your coffee and uh, i believe they also have olive oils so go to dropinfbomb.com order yourself some nice healthy fat and your brain, your cell membrane, your body will love you for it. My next guest is Josh Ford. He is a former mixed martial artist. He uh, has spent a lot of years doing tattoos and building tattoo machines. He's an incredible human being. We've known each other for many, many years. And I had the opportunity to stay at his home the last few days and really get to know him more and get to hang out with his family, his pets, and uh, go deep on things like consciousness about life. Uh, We go into his MMA uh, history of fighting and how he got into uh, Brazilian jiu-jitsu um, he even shares some of his uh, sort of demons from the past and uh, how he's overcome them uh, through just, you know, just persevering through life and, and developing uh, unconditional love when looking back at some of these things that end up becoming blessings instead of curses and learning about forgiveness and all the things that really make us mature and evolved and confident human beings. So, without further ado, I like to say that, like I'm super French or something, but 
I want to introduce you to my buddy, my brother, and awesome, awesome human being, Josh Ford. Enjoy, everybody. Mwah. What's up, Josh Ford? Hi, Tony. Dude, you scare me, bro. <laughs> Man. You can't see me now, right? I can't be scary? Yeah, I'm dude. not scary? Oh, right? my God. You can't see me? Your presence. <laughs> I don't know how you do it, dude. <laughs> It's the manimal. <laughs> <laughs> you are the humanimal, manimal, animal. Welcome to Hangry and Horny, bro. Thanks, man. I appreciate yeah. it. Thanks for inviting me to your home. Man, we love having you here. Dude, O'Denton, Maryland? Yes, sir. Yeah, awesome. Yes, sir. So how long ago have you uh, moved here from the West Coast? It's been about four years. Okay. Yeah, just over four years. And before that, you were in Colorado Denver. and then like all over the place, like yep. through your childhood, right? Yep. yep. Yeah. Yeah. California, Georgia, Massachusetts, and then, you know, multiple locations in all those areas. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So your background is all over the place. You're like a polymath to me. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, you have like tattoo uh, artistry. You got you build tattoo machines. You were a former MMA fighter. You work yep. in strength and conditioning, health and fitness. You're opening yep. a gym. Yeah, you work with like little fingerines. You yeah. know, you paint them. <laughs> like, how do you have all that time to do all that stuff? I I don't know, man. I've I've, I've been asked that over the years, and I. Uh, I, you know, I think part of it is, is when I decide I want to do something, you know, I, I get temporarily obsessed with it. Like I inundate myself with it until I'm overloaded and I get to the point where I can start taking some of it and putting on automatic and automatic. And then once I start to get a little more balance in that new area, I figure out how I can kind of integrate it into everything else that I do. And sometimes I have to leave stuff by the wayside and sometimes I don't, but, uh, you know, I just think through my adult life, I've kind of found ways to uh, keep the variety and work it into consistency to some extent. Yeah, yeah. It's, uh, I mean, I'm impressed, man, because, you know, you have all these talents. You, you seem to have fun with it. You have an amazing family. Thanks. You have Thank awesome you. animals. Yeah. And uh, <laughs> they're probably going to be popping in here at any point, yeah, right? too. Yeah, and little cats and dogs. <laughs> cats will be checking it out. Yeah. <laughs> hey, what's going on here? Yeah. Yeah, so um, let's start with, like, your childhood, man. Like, growing up in, like, the Bay Area and Pacifica. Yeah. It was my own old stopping ground, learning how to ride waves out there yeah and uh you know we were just pulling up your old wetsuit picture yeah yeah, yeah man <laughs> yeah it was pretty rad yeah uh childhood was interesting right because my first the first half of my childhood um yeah it was in pacifica and so i was born in san diego we moved when i was two so i don't really remember san diego you know but my my memories of california were very vivid you know and i grew up you know, on the beach almost every day. The school I was at was real close to the beach. You know, it was, you know, talking, I'm 41. So now you're talking, you know, 
38 to 40 years ago, you know, that we were riding our bikes everywhere. And, you know, the, the house we lived in was the house that my dad grew up in. So the neighborhood was just familiar to the family, you know, we had hills to play in and, uh, you know, it was pretty, as far as like what I was exposed to and, and the schools I was in and all that was, it was, uh, it was a kind of a happier time of my childhood, you know, like it was fun to grow up there and, um, for what I got to experience, you know, and I, you know, I had some family life stuff that started kind of early on, but overall, I think that was probably like my favorite part of my childhood was living in Pacifica, you know, small town, you know, surfer, boogie boarding, like, um, I was in a, a school system that was designed to sort of let every kid go at their own pace. Um, so, you know, we, we left there when I was in third grade. And so by the time I finished third grade with the school system I was in, I had finished like an 11th grade reading comprehension level, like an eighth grade math level. I could write, you know, like cursive calligraphy italics, you know, it was just, it, it was very creative and it, it was very fun. Um, so yeah, like that, that time of my life was, it was, it was a blast, you know? Yeah. yeah so at this, uh, alternative school, they, they gave you a self-paced uh environment yeah and you got to like sort of pursue what you like to learn or yeah well it was it was um it was basically like one wing of another school right and it was a it was run sort of like a private school but it was public kids had to get accepted and then all the parents of the kids had to volunteer a certain amount of time so they at least had like a there wasn't like a hands-off community right like the parents were involved and it was kindergarten through eighth grade ages but they went all the way through high school level um classes and you basically would just go to whichever grade level you were at for that uh for that subject you know so math was the same time for all the kids and you know reading and comprehension was at the same time for all the kids so you would just go and so there'd be classes i'd be in there with you know like kids that were, you know, six, seven years older than me and we're learning the same stuff, but it didn't feel odd, right? Because we were just all learning the same thing. Um, called all the teachers by their first name. So it was kind of informal like that. Um, yeah, it was, it was uh, definitely different than the second half of my childhood. Right, you know? right. Yeah. So in order to get into this school uh, program, Yashi tested for it. And- you know, I'm not, I don't remember if that program I got tested for. Um, I know we had to go through sort of like a process to, to get me in there, but I, I went to like a normal kindergarten and then we moved over there when I was in fifth grade so, or first grade. So I was first, second, third there. And then before we ended up moving from California, <clears throat> there was a school that my parents had got me tested for that I want to say it was called like Nuevo. And it was. Oh, Nuevo, yeah. yeah Nuevo, was, yeah. yeah. And uh, it was about maybe 45 minutes or so from Pacifica. Um, I don't know, it was a long time ago. I can't remember, but I remember I had to go. I had to go through a bunch of like IQ testing and creative testing. And then I did like um, two weeks of like a trial there. And from what I remember, the place was super cool. It was it was a school for like gifted kids. Um, my IQ always tested pretty high. And um, so, but it was like a creative environment rather than just like a book smart environment. So I remember being there and we had cool like arts and crafts on top of the different you know academic subjects and the place was like a 
it almost felt like an Ewok village. You know, they had all these little like hubs of rooms and it was in like on this land that was within sort of like this whole forest area and it was, it was beautiful. Um, but I, I, you know, it was like out of the range of what my parents could afford, you know, which I think my mom still always regrets. <laughs> right, right, right. Um, and then, you know, after that, we decided to move to Georgia. So then things changed up a lot. <laughs> yeah, right. It was a huge contrast. So yeah. uh, let's contrast like that early upbringing where you had like all that amazing creativity and open learning to moving to Georgia. What was that like? Yeah, I think when we moved to Georgia, it was 1986. And at the time, I want to say Georgia was like the second lowest in the nation for education as far as its ratings went. And so my parents, my dad was supposed to get transferred. He was working for Pac Bell in um, San Francisco as a telephone repairman. And then we didn't really have any connection with my dad's family. My mom's family was all in like Florida. And so they wanted to be closer to my mom's family, but not too close. (laughs) So we moved to Georgia. My dad was supposed to get transferred um, somehow his transfer got messed up. So once we got to Georgia, my dad had no job. Um, so he ended up having to, you know, go a different route and he found a job, which worked out, but, um, they put me in just a normal public school. And I remember going into fourth grade, we had to go into the counselor's office and they like handed my transcripts over to the counselor and the counselor's like flipping through, looking at my parents, like, I don't, I don't know what to do with this. Like, we don't have anything you know, they were like, I guess we can send them to some of the fifth grade classes. Um, and that was kind of it, you know, and I think my, my parents' hands were tied, you know, they were caught up with having to adjust to the move themselves, you know, dealing with, you know, coming across the country with the kids. And, and uh, so for me, I remember, like, that was the moment where school shifted for me, because not only was I pulled back down to levels that I had already passed, you know, a couple years before at least, um, but it was even at a lower level, you know, because California's curriculum was kind of so much higher than, than what was going on here. So I was just bored right off the bat. And so immediately, like, I think my overactive mind, you know, my, it, like, I had tons of energy and the teacher I had just did not like me. And so like we butted heads, I was getting in trouble all the time. Um, you know, I was getting, getting in fights almost every day cause we moved, you know, it's, it was weird to me as we moved from California, we moved to, you know, Georgia. And I literally was getting fights with kids who were, you know, calling me a Yankee and playing the whole like rebel Yankee thing at fourth grade, you know? And I kept saying, you know, we were talking about this the other day, I kept telling these kids, like, <laughs> California wasn't even around back then. What are you guys talking about, you know? But Well, it's Georgia. Um, they don't know. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, the education level. So, yeah. Um, yeah, it was just weird, you know? And at that time, like, uh, things had started getting worse between, like, my father and I at that point. Um, I think there was a lot of stress on him. Uh, with the move and with the job and um, you know he had already always been kind of tough as it was and then with kind of how I was getting in trouble at school and it was you know it was dumb stuff like I would get written up at school for you know asking a question without raising my hand and they would call home you know Um, and different stuff like that and then I wasn't doing as good in school because I was bored so I was getting distracted and so um, it started triggering a lot more um you know, rough times with my father and I, which I think was also um, 
kind of the beginning of, you know, going down the wrong path, you know, the second half of my childhood. So yeah, moving to Georgia was not, uh, right off the bat was just not good for me. Yeah. What would that look like after, you know, you're in class? How would you uh, act? I mean, they had a, did you like get up sometimes because you're so bored? Like you had to force yourself to sit down? Yeah, I would be a little fidgety, you know? Um, I think a lot of it for me was just, I, I had gotten to the point where I was like afraid to get in trouble. So sometimes I would just, you know, put my head down and like try not to trigger anything with my teacher. Um, and yeah, it was just rough, you know, like to be honest, there was a one time, you know, it's fourth grade, right? Like I have no shame in this, but I needed to go to the bathroom and I'm like, I need to go to the bathroom. She's like, no, you don't just sit there. I need to go to the bathroom. Just sit there. I ended up peeing my pants, right? Like fourth grade. Wow. Like not a kindergartner, like fourth yeah. grade. Which, yeah. And then she made like a big spectacle out of it. Oh my you goodness. Know? And, yeah. And uh, so of course, you know, there was you no know, backlash that I had to deal with that. So that caused more fights. And, and at that point, I had started sort of adopting my dad's anger because what he was sort of unleashing on me. And then I was sort of having these, um, conflicting environments at school. So, you know, like I said, I mean, I, I was getting in fights almost every day, you know, at school and we weren't really getting in trouble cause it was like the bathroom fights. Right. So even back then, like kids were slick about getting in fights and not getting in trouble. Um, but it definitely started nurturing like, uh, the heated side of me, you know, like I was quick to anger. I was smaller, but you know, I started standing up for myself. Like I wasn't really like, um, getting bullied and not doing anything about it. But yeah, it was, a, it was an interesting time, you know, like when I reflect on it, it was, it was pretty crazy for a kid to go through, you know, were you playing sports? Yeah, I was playing some sports. Um, I always played sports growing up, like California, we played a ton of soccer and baseball. And then, um, I played a lot of baseball, a little bit of soccer. Once we moved to Georgia, I started getting into football and wrestling, kind of like my middle school um, ages. But uh, did that help with the ing aggression? A little bit, you know. But I think um, I think like home life aggression was also increasing, so it sort of balanced out. <laughs> <laughs> I. Uh, yeah, I remember, you know, there was one time, you know, not to throw my dad under the bus. I know, like, when we first start talking about this, this is going to sound like my dad's a monster. But, you know, he, we actually have a, an amazing relationship now. And um, <clears throat> he's transformed from a lot of the stuff that I went through when I was a kid to becoming a better man, you know. But And father. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. You know, and he's he's an amazing grandfather now, but I think a lot of it was he had to sort of go through these lessons of mistakes that he made with me to be able to transition to that. So, um, there was one time like fourth grade when I had the, all the issues with the teacher and, uh, this was, it was kind of a breaking point in my childhood because it was when I felt like, like nobody was there for me, you know, like that was, I, I like I was started feeling lost and I had gotten in trouble at school and I, I can remember the day, like, I get to school and me and a buddy are like kind of running from the bus to class, right? And one of the hall monitors, one of the big fifth graders, you know, is yelling like, hey, stop running. And we didn't realize they were talking to us because we weren't really running. We were like goofing off and like quick stepping, right? And I'm sure I like mocked her. I was like, I was like, oh, quit running. And so they come grab us and like take us to the teacher. 
And so the teacher had this whole system where, like, if you got in trouble, you got your name on the board. If you got in trouble again, you got to check. If you got in trouble again, you got to check. And if you got three checks in a day, it was like a call home, right? So the teacher, like I said, she already had it out for me. So I get that. She's like, I've had enough of you, and, like, writes my name on the board with two checks, right? So then later on in the day, I, like, blurt an answer out in, in class without raising my hand. Check number three. Right. So now for like a kid, you think you've like done the worst thing possible calls getting home. So I get home and I'm like hoping my mom got the call. Right. And uh, so as I'm walking into our garage, which was sort of like an entry into the, the kitchen, my dad like opens the door and is like waiting for me, you know. And at first he's like, hey, how was your day? And I was like, oh, you know, it was fine, you know. And I'm, like, trying to walk in. And he was like, oh, anything happened? I was like, no, I'm good. And my dad lost his mind, dude. Starts screaming at me, like, you know, you lying little fucker, you piece of shit. Like, just starts whipping my ass, dude. Like, we had, like, these stairs that went from, like, our main floor up to the second floor. And, you know, he basically, like, boots me up the stairs and just lets me have it, you know. And until I'm, I'm like, uh, curled up, like, just trembling piece of flesh right in the corner of my bedroom and uh and then he like leaves you know and he's getting ready for work like 15 minutes later he just comes in i'm still like on the floor like you know a whipped dog and he just like looks in the bedroom like nothing happened he's like oh your mom made some brownies left them on the counter i'm going to work and was off you know and i remember that was just like a a point where i was like i you know what's going on you know because i had this I had this conflicting, like, you know, in California, I was being nurtured for, like, my intellect. And, I, you know, even then I was still sort of, like, hyper and getting in trouble here and there. But um, it was sort of like I had this, still had sort of, like, this positive push of, like, you're going to be able to achieve things. You know, like, there's going to be stuff for you. And then it was, like, as soon as we moved to Georgia, it was, like, this complete 180. And now I was just getting hammered with, like, you're worthless. You're never going to be any good. You always get in trouble. You know, I was stifled with school. And so it was, it was a really weird point, but I remember like that, that vivid memory. And if my dad's watching this, you know, forgive me for sharing that story. But, um, you know, it was kind of, like I said, man, it was a very pivotal point in my childhood that I remember sort of like giving up. You know? Right. Right. Yeah. So this is usually the case. There's a lot of people where, you know, these like curses end up being blessings or maybe not, right. but where was the moment where you realized that this it was some sort of blessing in the long run? I mean, it took years, you know, like there was, that was kind of one moment and, you know, through sort of like, and I was, I was nine years old when that happened, right? And so that kind of continued until I was about 15, you know, not, it wasn't like a daily thing like that, but there was, there was just, you know, it was situations that came up like that and other things that contributed to it. And, you know, I kept getting worse and worse. So I was getting more rebellious, more rebellious, was losing more and more care about school. You know, every once in a while I'd have a teacher that would sort of like see something in me and would spark my attention and would push me and I'd do well, which my other teachers wouldn't get, right? I'd get like shining A plus in a class and then everything else was like a struggle because I just didn't care. Um, but... You know, once I, once I hit probably mid-20s and was married, I got married young. I got married at 23, 
um, we had my daughter young. We decided we want to have kids right away. So like the second month that we were married, she was pregnant with my daughter. Um, so I think it wasn't really until then, you know, kind of becoming a parent that I was able to sort of understand and start to look back from a different perspective that, you know, there's no playbook for parents. You know, there's no manual when somebody's born and they're like, hey, this is exactly how to raise your child. So uh, even though I didn't really like repeat my dad's pattern, it started giving me some insight into understanding that, you know, parents make mistakes. Some are, you know, bigger than others. But um, it also gave me the perspective to see that my dad had changed from that. He started, he, he raised my sisters differently. Like I'm the oldest and especially I have one that's 11 years younger than me. So I got to see how he put in a different effort. And I think some people don't look past like their own sort of like self-perception point of view and they hold on to what they went through and the pain that they went through and hold that as resentment, you know, if they've been in similar situations. Cause I've talked to people about this and helped them kind of deal with the same thing. And then they see like younger siblings get a better version of their parent and then they hold even more resentment because they're like, why'd you treat them like that? And you treated me like this. But I realized from, you know, fairly early on that, you know, like I was just parenting version one, right? And so then there was my sister parenting version two and then my little sister parenting version three. So, you know, my parents were trying to improve and be better parents. And, and you know, I've, I've told my dad that that was one of the, one of the greatest lessons that he taught me is that, no matter how bad some things seem or how much you have certain uh, um, habits kind of built in with how you deal, you can change them. You know, you're not stuck. And, and so that helped me not just with becoming a better parent, but just becoming a better man because I was able to sort of like use those insights and start to reprogram some of the the you know anger and and attitude and bad habits and, and stuff that I had almost like just accepted as part of me as I started you know getting into adulthood so I would say that's probably when it really started to to change and then it was more recent maybe like in the last three four years that I really was able to look back you know, I had like an experience when I, where I was able to look back and sort of go through my life in reverse. And I could see all the positive before I saw the negative. So I was able to kind of see um, everything that seemed like it was negative or bad at the time, um, kind of after the fact instead of before the fact. So I was able to see how, like we were talking the other day, how chaos sort of created growth and order. Um, so it was a great experience for me. So I literally was able to sort of like reprogram my view on life and even like those heavy stories I share, like I don't have the same, like it's tough to sort of relive them in the mind, but I don't have the same attachments that. Uh, like emotional triggers. Right, right. you know, right. it's just an experience now that I know that I learned from. And so it. So you can see it more objectively. Right. Okay. Right. Yeah, I can see more of like the evolution of it all and how, you know, like I've told my dad and we've had talks and, you know, we haven't really had to have these for years because I think I, I got the point across. But, you know, once I was into kind of my 20s and even into my early 30s, every once in a while, my dad would have emotional moments. Like if I would visit or we'd just be on a phone call and he'd kind of break down and get a little teary eyed and, and emotional and try to apologize to me for stuff that he did. And, uh, you know, I told him, I said, look, 
I like who I am. I like who I'm becoming. I, I like where my life's headed. And I said, if you, had, if you had done anything different, I wouldn't be who I was. I wouldn't be who I am, you know? And, uh, you know, I was like, you always tell me you're proud of who I am now. So obviously something worked. And I know I had a big part in that, you know, in the way that I process that stuff. But, you know, that's, that's, that's real, like, helpful insights, you know? Like, to me, that's not just... It's not like a a false affirmation of just looking in the mirror and being like, you're okay, everybody likes you, right? Like, that's good for some people. But, like, I can actually look in the mirror and be like, you're okay. Like, the people that like you, like you, and the people that don't, tough shit, you know? But, like, I'm okay, I'm continuing to grow, and, and um, I've used those experiences as fuel, you know? And it was it was good, like, knowing... Once I became kind of into my early 20s, I knew, I started realizing how much time I had wasted in my teenage years. And I think that's part of why I have such a drive to improve is because I've wanted to make up for lost time kind of. And as I, through that process, I learned how I learn. Um, so I know my process. And so it's easy, like we said in the beginning, for me to kind of take new stuff, learn it, integrate it, take new stuff, learn it, integrate it. and. So you found your style, your own formula to right. learn. Right. Yeah. And so, you know, all of it, it's just all of those experiences kind of all culminate in, in sort of the different levels of um, kind of perception I'm able to access, right? Because I feel like I can, I can be in just that self-perception where I can feel my emotions and I can feel how I'm feeling in that, in that moment. And then I'm able to step back from that a little bit, use my emotions as a guide and then pull in a bit, little bit more logic. And then I can step back even further from that and now see myself as sort of an observer and how it all kind of fits into the scenario. And, you know, sometimes you can go even further back with that. But I mean, all of those experiences gave me that ability to do that. No. Yeah, so it sounds like that you've had like all these like culmination of different experience over time that enabled you to learn. And then based on our earlier conversations during the week, um, you're sharing like these like close calls near death situations. And yeah. then uh, just early on, you were saying that you had recent experience of sort of been able to like look back at your whole life starting with the positive and then then the negatives you know right so uh what were the the close calls and like what were the what was the thing that enabled you to see this all recently yeah so i had a lot of close calls with sort of the law right when i was younger so my teenage years i got real bad into substance abuse, right? All kinds of different, you know, drugs, drinking alcohol, like started at a young age because my friends were older than me. So most of my friends kind of getting into high school were like three, three, four years older than me. And then once I got to high school, I started getting some friends that were a little closer to my age. Um, but, uh, you know, the only thing I ever got arrested for was I got in an accident right after I turned 18 in my parents' car, I went to like pass somebody on a hill in a neighborhood because I thought they were turning one way and they turned another. I ended up like getting into a little fender bender. So they gave me a ticket. And then within the week after that, I had moved to Denver. So I came back maybe six months later to visit my parents and I had never dealt with my ticket, right? So there was a bench warrant for my arrest. And uh, so a buddy of mine, we get together and we had a friend that was murdered. 
And so he wanted to take me out to see the memorial. And so we drive out at night, see the memorial. He can't find it. He like gets lost. So then we start driving back. Well, he had a, a headlight out. So we get pulled over. They check his license. He's got a suspended license. So then they're going to let me drive the car. So they check my license. Turns out I have a bench warrant, right, for the ticket. Wow. <laughs> so, um, so I get arrested, spend 19 hours in jail for that, you know, till my mom came and got me. But, uh, you know, that was the only time I ever got arrested. But, you know, there's been times where, like, um, right before I moved, I moved to Denver <clears throat> about a week after I turned 18. And right before I moved... Um, I had hardly any money, right? I had like 250 bucks and I was getting ready to move cross country by myself, move in with a, a, like a friend's brother. And so I was like, well, I'm going to put like one quick, like drug deal together and, and try to hustle up some money. So, uh, like kind of through a friend of a friend, some guy was like set up like a, a deal to sell a pound of weed, right? Well, I didn't have the money, so I was just going to get it fronted from somebody just kind of basically do a handoff and take the commission, well, so then the guy who's going to sell it to you calls me up and then he works me up to like five pounds and then he works me up to like 10 pounds, you know, and I'm not really thinking clear at this time. And so I think like, oh man, I'm going to be able to make like a couple thousand dollars and head out there. So, um, I go to like meet this guy to like broker the deal. And I remember a friend of mine drove and we pull up and we meet the guy in like a Waffle House parking lot, right? Which is Georgia. There's like 8 million of them. And, uh, but we noticed like there's a cop helicopter flying overhead. Seemed like there was a lot of cops kind of like in the the area so i get up and I, I i get in the car and it's like this this older black guy and he's dressed like a 1970s pimp you know and uh <laughs> I'm gonna like get it, you just, it just felt weird you know and he was like hands me this like paper bag full of cash and he's like so do you have it in the car and i'm like no 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 you know like it's it's not in the car like you know i had this whole plan where i was going to take the money get the weed i was gonna go drop it in like a public dumpster in a park and tell him where to pick it up at right and uh so i'm like trying to broker this for him and he's like nah we can't do that can't do that and so i just had a bad feeling luckily i was like nah i'm not doing it so we like just called it off and i left and it turns out that like i mean it was an undercover deal for sure well they had followed us for like a few miles until they realized that we actually didn't have it and I guess they thought we were just going to try to rob him. He thought we were just going to take the money and split. And uh, the guy that had actually tried to broker the deal that was a friend of mine had gotten busted earlier. And so he was trying to flip on me. Um, so, yeah, so that was like a, you know, kind of a big close call. And then there was some other, you know, smaller ones where, you know, we had gotten pulled over with drugs in the car and somehow talked our way out of getting searched. And, um but we were all kind of crazy, like getting in fights all the time, you know, going out, we used to take a bunch of acid and go out and like get in fights, right? Like that was on acid. That, yeah, it was like, that was like <laughs> fun, you know? And uh, so, I mean, there was just so many things that I should have gotten in trouble for, that I should have gotten injured or killed or, you know, and I was, I was kind of living my life like I didn't think I was going to live to see 18, you know, and then once I hit 18, I didn't think I was going to live to see 21. So 18 to 21 got even a little crazier. I mean, there was a couple little reprieves, but it was definitely like some time that was just hard at it. You know, I moved to Denver, ended up kind of getting involved with some friends that were kind of, you know, same kind of same boat as me, young punks, like kind of doing their own thing. And, you know, that's when I got into tattooing and, and I got into tattooing and we were like the stereotypical young tattooers, like drinking and partying and fighting in bars all the time. And 
um, you know, still selling drugs and robbing other drug dealers. And man, shit was crazy, you know? Wow. Like it's, it's weird when I think about it now because I'm so disconnected from who I was at that time in my life that uh, it's wild. It's what like talking about another that. person, yeah, even yeah. though you know yeah. and it's, that it was you. Yeah, and the, the memories are there, but it's, again, like it's like there's not the same connection right it's like i was watching it um like a movie yeah yeah yeah. and uh so you know just through that i mean there's been a bunch of times that i was sitting in handcuffs that i could have gotten arrested and been facing like assault charges for fights and i always got let go even when some of my other friends would get arrested you know um good looking chap yeah And, (laughs) and i think one of the one of the big kind of turning points for me and we were talking about this is is uh this didn't completely clean me up, but it scared me enough that it started making me realize that I needed to start changing things up. And so I had a real bad experience when I was like 19 and I had, uh, I'd gone back to Georgia for like the summer of the Olympics, started getting real bad into drugs again out there with some of my friends and needed to get out. So I ended up stealing money from my parents because I didn't want to ask them for help. So I stole money so I could buy a, a, a bus ticket to go back to Denver, which was a crazy story in itself with misconnections and detoxing on cocaine and the, mm. the length of the trip. <laughs> and then I get back and I had had a girlfriend in, uh, in Denver and she had no idea what I had been going through. And she was actually in Narcotics Anonymous. So she thought I had gone back to, to Georgia and was staying clean because I was in NA at the time when I went back and, uh, um, you know, it was totally lying to her. And then I get back and you could tell she thought something was off. And so, you know, like immediately I get back, things just sort of go downhill. You know, I, I end up like cheating on her and getting caught for it. And so that kind of goes bad. Now I've got this crazy, you know, I had stolen from my parents, so they were pissed off, you know, and, and I had like no direction. I'm, you know, still hanging out now in Denver with a bunch of guys that are, you know, doing a bunch of crazy shit. And uh, I ended up hanging out with a like a DJ that I knew, and uh, we were hanging out over the weekend. And the guy was like selling crystal meth, and I had never really done any of that stuff. So I start getting into that with him just that weekend, and we did. I, I mean, way more than anybody's supposed to do. And I literally lost my mind. Like, um, I think I was drawing in a sketchbook, kind of triggered it, and. Uh, you know, I know we sort of talked about this, but I full on like flipped who I was like my mind over a couple of days through no sleep and, and like doing these drugs. Uh, I started seeing different things, hallucinating, um, totally thought I was somebody different. Like I had full on fabricated memories in my head and I got to the point where I thought that I was like an ex-Special Forces military guy who was like undercover DEA that got in too deep, you know, and like got messed up on the drugs. And so like I start freaking out and getting paranoid about the guy that I'm with because I think he's, I'm supposed to bust him. And so he's like trying to get people together to kill me. I'm like out on his on his patio, like dumping out a bag of charcoal because I think there's a secret message in there for me. <laughs> and I'm like trying to signal people on the street because I don't know who my team is, you know? and. And, you know, he's bugging out because he doesn't know what the hell is going on. And he ends up, like, somehow getting in touch with some of my friends who come over to get me. And I'm just in a daze, you know. And it was it was this 
you know, it took me a while to come out of that, you know, like they came and got me and, you know, walked me back to the house, which is an experience because I was still like connected with sort of like, I still thought I was this other person. Um, and it was just, it was just crazy, man. And I remember thinking like once I finally came out of that, it still took a couple years before I really started mellowing out, but I knew that like things had to change. And so after that experience, I actually went back to NA for a while, um, got cleaned up through that. But, you know, I just, I felt like I was still dealing with like demons from my youth and that I wasn't, I didn't feel like I had a connection with these like 40 and 50 year old people in NA who had been, you know, like long-term heroin junkies and crack users and were trying to convince me that I was the same as them. It just didn't feel right, you know? So I eventually left there, <clears throat> you know, still drinking and doing drugs every once in a while, but it started mellowing out. And then I got, when I got with my ex-wife, uh, it really started to mellow out. And then when we got married 23, by that point, I had kind of just dropped down to where like I was just drinking, you know, and kind of normal drinking. We weren't going out and getting crazy. It'd be, you know, one night a week, me and the guys from the tattoo shop would go out and, you know, the night before our day off and we would just blow off some steam. But, you know, I started kind of getting my shit together then. And, you know, by the time that my son was born, which was 2004, I had really started getting back on the healthy track, was training jujitsu full time. And, and uh, that's when I really started getting more into kind of the nutrition and, and trying to make health a focus in my life, you know? And so, <clears throat> yeah, that was some of the brushes and, and you know, what got me there. Um, so what was the uh, recent thing that enabled you to look back on all this? Well, and really so, like deal with it. Yeah. So I, you know, when I kind of really got out of like drinking and drugs and I, I went on sort of like that whole typical, almost like, you know, when somebody quits smoking, it's like, you know, anti-smoker. Right. So I just wasn't messing with anything. And I kind of associated everything to that negative feeling of like any of this stuff is going to be bad, you know? And, and as I start getting older, I start learning more stuff. I start reading more stuff. I start understanding I'm more mature. I start seeing some things that were drugs as more like medicinal, right? And so I start looking more into some of that stuff. And then, you know, a handful of years ago, you start hearing more and more about like ayahuasca, right? And so it was kind of there, like in the back of my head. Um, but I was sort of wrestling with it of thinking like, well, I don't know if this is something I should do. Like it might trigger some of these old substance abuse things. And I kind of put that to rest. And then I started thinking like, I think this is something I want to look into. You know, I think it's something I want to do. And as soon as I did that, like all of a sudden people I knew and, and people that I were meeting would just bring it up, you know, like, oh man, I, you know, I actually went down and I did ayahuasca without me prompting it. Like I wasn't out searching for it. It just kind of started popping up, you know? So I started searching for it. Um, and I ended up finding a place down in Central America that I went to. Um, and it was more small group. I didn't want to go down to Peru. And I felt like when I was looking into that and, and like watching people's sort of like reviews online, it was already getting kind of like hip to go down there and do that. And I, I wasn't looking to be wasn't looking to jump on the hipster train, right? Like I just, I felt like there was something that was calling me to go do it, to really be able to uh, 
deal with some of the things that I had gone through in my life and, and be able to put them to rest, you know? And I kept telling my wife, like, I feel like this is something I'm getting called to go do, you know? And so all this stuff started popping up, seemed like the place I found kind of fell in place. Um, and when I was going down there, you know, I was trying to think about what intentions I wanted to deal with. Like, what was it that I really wanted out of this? And one of the things that I wanted was I wanted to try to gain more balance between the logic and emotion in my life. Because I had had points in my life, like my younger years, I had gotten so driven by emotion that as I started getting into my, my adult years, I started shifting away from that and getting more into logic to where it was almost like, uh, like ultra stoic, like cold, you know, where it was like emotion just didn't register. Everything was like black and white and it had to be logical. And if it wasn't logical, it made no sense. Um, and so my wife was kind of a good catalyst for that because my wife is very like emotion forward, you know, and so we sort of had this weird duality. And so she was already sort of showing me that that balance was necessary. I mean, this is my second wife. My second wife. Second yeah. wife, yeah. Um, so, you know, she was supportive. I think she was a little nervous because her and I already come from different worlds. <laughs> you know, like she has the, the very straight up like corporate job and, and came up with like, you know, the, the a completely different type of child. Yeah, high academic. With, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. And, uh, you know, followed the path to career excellence, you know. So I think she supported me, but she was a little nervous. Um, but she knew, like, you know, I wasn't going down there to get fucked up, right? I was going down there really with that medicinal intention of, like, appealing stuff that I need to heal, some stuff that I need to see, yeah. So, you know, I went down there by myself, and with that intention, you know, one of the intentions of wanting to kind of get more in touch with my emotions, and it turns out I end up being the youngest person in the group, and I'm the only guy in the group, so I'm surrounded by all women. Uh, and it was just a group of six of us, and uh, only two knew each other, they were sisters. Everybody else was strangers. So it was just kind of like an intense environment right there. Um, and so I had three ceremonies that I went through over a week while I was down there, and, uh, they're very intense for me, but they all felt healing because I, I had really gotten to the point where I had no fear about it. I was open to see whatever it was that I was gonna be shown. Um, so it just felt like every ceremony felt just like a, like a full-on learning experience. Like I said, it was like somebody took me by the hand and was like, I'm gonna show you everything that you want. Like, I'm gonna give it to you at your own speed. And so, uh, that first ceremony is when I kind of had like almost like a, a visual experience of all of the concepts that I had been kind of formulating and improving on in my life where I was able to like almost like see everything in action rather than just having the words in my mind, you know? Um, and then that trip was also when I kind of had that whole reverse look into my life, you know, where I had sort of done that at certain points but not at the intensity of this. I mean, this felt like, it felt like I was going back and experiencing all of it with, like I said, like feeling all of that positive energy and then sort of getting introduced to the chaos that contributed so that it was almost like that positive experience and growth that came from it just blasted through sort of like what was negative. Um, so yeah, I mean, that was, 
that was a big part of it. And that was a big part of what really um, set me on the path to where now I'm, you know, two weeks out from opening my own, you know, like fitness and, and performance facility, um, which isn't even really a good explanation for what I plan on doing. With it, but <laughs> it, it was really kind of what set it in motion for me was that I had already at this point in my life started doing some life coaching, which I, I, again, like I didn't want to jump on the life coaching train. I just, through everything I think that I've gone through and that I've lived, <clears throat> I started attracting my friends that were going through situations and I would be like the shoulder they, that they would lean on. And I seemed to have a knack for like the observational view and being direct with them to make them face it and not just sit there and be like, oh, it'll be okay, it'll be okay. You know, I'd ask them questions like, how are we gonna get through this? So, you know, I was already doing that and making some, pretty positive changes in people's lives. You know, I had done some training, you know, when I was younger, like personal training, and then was getting more into like the strength conditioning side. And, you know, I'd been doing nutrition for a decade. And so I had all these like tools that it was almost like, hey, dummy, like you have all these ways that you can contribute to uh, humanity and, and more positive change. Why are you not doing this? You know, and so I kind of came back and was like, oh, like I need to own this. I'm going to own this. And, and so I've, you know, the last few years I've been slowly transitioning my life out of, you know, the tattoo career that I had and the machines. And I've been kind of slowly easing out of that and, you know, going through educating myself more on the stuff that I felt I was lacking in um, and putting things in place to kind of move towards this. And I've, I've been through enough business ventures in my life that I knew I wasn't just going to jump home and be like, oh, I'm going to open a gym. Like I really needed to formulate my why I needed to formulate sort of my whole philosophy behind it. Um, I needed to explore the things that I felt I needed to get stronger at, you know, and I still feel like, I mean, it's going to be a constant learning experience, but I, I, I feel like I have the tools and I have the mentors and I have the, the connections in place that when I do have questions or I do need to figure stuff out, like they're there, you know, I'm not opening blind. Um, you know, so I'm excited because I, I feel like, you know, the last 41 years of my life has brought me to this point where I actually understand what I'm doing here, you know, and, and I, I tell my clients all the time, like the people that I work with, like for me, I really embrace the power of one. I'm constantly trying to improve myself because I know if I'm improving myself and the energy that I sort of put out around me, then I affect others, right? And it's that whole ripple effect because now- Bro, I'm, I'm your just, aura is incredible <laughs> right now. <laughs> oh man, it's what? like the sun. I can feel it. Um, I'm basking in it. But it, you know, it's, it's, it's like if I keep improving on myself, right? And then- that makes other people want to be involved in that. They see and they can feel sort of like the positivity and the confidence that I have in my life and they want some of that. And so they come to me and then I'm able to connect with them, you know, and uh, not have judgment. You know, like I've been through enough stages in my life where I was judging people. You know, I used to look at people that were overweight and I would get grossed out, you know. And I just think like, well, why can't they, why can't they just, you know, have the willpower to do what they want. And I finally realized that, you know, for one, like I don't have any ability to judge people, but I also realized that some people just need the help, right? Like I needed help and I can go back and I look at the triggers and the people that were there or the books that I read or just whatever I stumbled onto. 
Um, and some people maybe just need more of a personal push, right? So now when I see people that are overweight or unhealthy, man, I, it just, to me, I just see like a help sign on their forehead, you know, and I, and I can't go force everybody to do that. But when I'm able to connect with those people, I have that compassion, I have that caring, and I know that I have the conviction to give them what they need to help them get the results. And so that gives me even more of a driving focus because now I feel like if I'm not fulfilling that, then I'm not living to my potential. You know, I'm not doing what I can to be a, a thriving part of humanity and, and the world in general, you know? And Which so, is like why you're here. Right, right. Yeah. And that's where I feel like that I've fully embraced that. I get that. Like life is to experience, but I also feel like those experiences are part of something greater, right? It's all experiences that you upload to something greater that we're all connected to that eventually affects other people. Um, but you know, the more positive change I can affect in others, then, and I can teach them sort of their understanding of the power of one and how they can keep improving themselves, they're going to then affect the people around them. And so to me, like, my driving, like my real philosophy of this is this is how I change the world. Like, this is how I can contribute and change the world the best way that I can, right? Like, I can't go out and I'm not going to go out and be some guru. Like, I just want to keep working on me because I know if I work on me, it's going to affect others, you know? Um, so that's what is exciting about this new spot, you know, is I finally have a place where I'm not working in the confines of other people's communities or other people's equipment or other people's philosophies. Like I'm able to set this place up with my heart and my passion and my drive, um, and put it right into place and be able to build the culture and, and, you know, I, I'm, my whole goal is to have something that's more than just the physical with, with Thrive, right, which is the name of the place, it's Thrive um, Performance and Fitness. And I want people to come in and realize that they're not just changing their bodies, they're changing their lives. Because we're going to have motivational stuff worked in. I plan on having sort of open table discussion groups where people that are members, they don't, they're not forced to, but they're open to where they can come in and you know, I can basically start it off where, you know, I pick a topic like, hey, tonight we're going to talk about communication. Tonight we're going to talk about relationships. Tonight we're going to talk about fear, right? And where I can sort of give a 10-minute talk about some of the experiences and the tools that I've used to deal with it and then open it up to where everybody then gets involved and gets to share their experiences, you know? So it's like that support group, but it's really not like the poor me support group, but more about some people are gonna have strength that they bring to the group and some people are gonna have weakness that they bring to the group. And so it allows everybody to sort of tap into that like tribal mentality of purpose and belonging, which has been proven, right? That that increases sort of like mental health and fitness anyway. So now people are coming in and they're not just getting the workouts. They're not just getting their their nutrition online. They're also getting their the mental side of it is, is healthier. And I'm able to sort of like control who comes in and who doesn't, you know? And so like people that want to be members, I'm not just trying to take everybody I can so I can get as much money as I can on the books. Like when I sit down and have consultations with people, I'm interviewing them just as much as they're interviewing me. So I can make sure that I have the right people in that community that are going to be able to build that up. That know? are actually ready. Right. Yeah. Right. That yeah. want to be there. They're willing. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that's cool, yeah. man. Yeah. Um, so let's get into confidence and maturity, sure. <laughs> uh, which we see in our industries of across the board, you know, with 
uh, fitness and and health and then you got sports yep and uh i mean every industry out there is a lot of people that are going out there uh with these insecurities that come off as like you know uh, a sense of a a power or control or or ego or bullying Mm -hmm. you know and and so what i love about you is that you're just being you you know it's it's obvious that you're not like trying to be anybody else and you just stand in your own self like hey this is me this is what i've learned and and uh where is that like coming from or at what point did you have that like clarity that all i can do is be my best and be me versus uh try to overcompensate by acting like you know it all and you know like dominating people and groups um, I mean, I still, I think that's my entire life is going to be sort of a work in progress, right? I mean, I still have times where I get done with a situation. I'm like, man, I feel like I like asserted too much of what's going on with me and not enough of like what's going on with them. But I think part of that is because I'm uh, like, I, I embrace sort of like their strength and vulnerability. So when people ask me questions, like I just let them have it, you know, like I'm not really hiding anything. And sometimes that, um, can kind of cause me to talk a little too much, but bro, you scare me right now. (laughs) (laughs) I think a a big part of what has helped me, I know a big part of what has helped me find my confidence was jujitsu. Right. And it's, um, it's, it's the martial arts side of it. But I think one of the beautiful things about jujitsu is that, um, it's a martial art where you're able to test your capabilities to a, greater extent than a lot of other martial arts right because with pure jujitsu you know we're doing the grappling we're not punching kick each other we're not kicking each other so we're able to go more full speed and really test ourselves more so you're able to to i think learn at a different rate about who you are what you're capable of um but there's so like there's so many parallels of jujitsu to life you know like there's so many lessons in jujitsu that relate to life like uh you know escaping situations right or being comfortable in situations learning how to breathe you know like breathing is a big one for me like breathing is like the base key behind brazilian jujitsu because if you don't learn how to breathe you're always sort of going to be on the stiff and stressed out edge whereas you know when you learn how to breathe it just kind of relaxes everything and puts your brain a little bit more in tune, takes out some of the fear. Um, and then control your energy systems, yeah, right? Cause if yeah. you're like constantly tense and not able or not focused on your breathing, you're not able to, I mean, you, you'll fatigue and get dominated, right. right? Right. Yeah. And there's a lot of like learning about balance, like you're talking about, because I think when people first start jujitsu, it's a lot of like hard on hard, right? It's a lot of rock on rock. And now, you know, like, almost 20 years later I really work on sort of like that yin yang balance of it right like that that flow of it so when somebody's coming hard and when somebody's the rock then I turn into the water and then when somebody turns into the water I kind of turn into the rock so it's kind of like being able to learn how to play those balances but it it correlates over life as well right like you can see there's times where you're like butting your head against the wall trying to like use force to deal with the situation when really sometimes you just need to step back and move around it or look at it in a different way. Um, 
So, I mean, you know, that's, I mean, you're talking hours worth of being able to break stuff down when it comes to jujitsu and life. But I mean, that really was a big key for me. And it was another one. It was a big key for really being able to learn my process of learning because you're always having to sort of like face your, like your weaknesses and face your shortcomings because every night you go in and train, something's not working, right? And some things are, or some things, you know, someone's tapping you out. And, and the beautiful thing about jujitsu is that uh, you really, when people look at it in the right sense, I, I think there's, because jujitsu shifted to a big sport focus, there's a little bit more ego than I'm comfortable with in sort of jujitsu overall. But, you know, for me, like I've tried to embrace more of the philosophy and the martial arts side of it and, and not having that ego. Um, so understanding that, like, when you're tapping out in jujitsu, you're basically asking somebody to show you mercy, right? If they're choking you, you're asking them to give you your life, right? If they're about to break your arm, you're asking them not to break your arm. Uh, and I think a lot of people miss that, you know, that, um, that that moment of vulnerability is, at, you know, like I was saying earlier, like there's strength and vulnerability, that every time that you tap, that's an opportunity for you to take some, like a weakness that you had and learn how to become stronger. But to be able to do that, you have to be vulnerable because some people aren't. Some people will let their arms pop. Some people will go unconscious. You know, they're hard-headed about it and they, they're missing the point that, listen, man, that moment of weakness is, a, is an opportunity for you, for you to learn how to grow. Um, so that's a, that's a huge lesson to me with the martial arts, you know, and all martial arts kind of have that where people can, you know, give or they can yield. Um, and it just allows you to improve. And I think a lot of people initially look at it as like a weakness, right? Especially men. They're like, oh, no, I can't, can't give up, can't give up, can't give up. Like, man, like that's just some bullshit that we've been fed through our lives, you know? And, and that comes back to the balance again is also like, yeah, we were born men, but you still have to have, you, you can't just be full of mas masculine, you know, masculine or there's, there's an imbalance. So you, you also have to embrace some of the feminine and it's the same with women. Like that idea of separation between men and women is again, something that I think has been sort of culturally forced on us. Um, you know, I'm not saying we all have to be metrosexual and, and walk around like the same, but being able to get more in touch with my emotions and embrace some of the stuff that as a, a young man in especially American society, I was told you're not supposed to do or it makes you a pussy or it makes you weak. Like, I don't agree with that shit anymore. You know, like, go ahead, call me a pussy. I know the, the times where I've given in to be able to learn to become stronger, I see the benefits in that, you know? And I'm not trying to, I'm not trying to prove to anybody that, that I'm better than them. I'm not trying to prove to anybody that I'm tougher, you know? And that's, I think, some of what you were asking in the beginning is that, uh, you know, I, I think some of what I started losing sight of with tattooing was when it started getting bigger with TV and all that started creating these big egos. And now all of a sudden everybody thinks they're important. You know, and I've always had the, the idea of like, hey, I want to give that person that's trusting me to sit down in my chair the best tattoo that I'm able to give them at that moment. But I'm still just fucking sitting down in a chair and drawing on them. You know, I'm not saving lives. You know, I'm not curing cancer. I'm not curing disease. So why the hell should I think I'm important just because I'm good at tattooing? Right. And so that's a tough one for me to swallow. But I also understand that that's sort of how 
we are raised to be. It's like you take what you're good at so that you can step above everybody else and you can rise up the ranks. And, you know, we're, we're so stuck with like human competition, whereas we're really wired for human connection. And so, you know, when I get into some of these environments where I can see that it's like competition, 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 oh my God, man, like how do I, I either need to remove myself from this situation or I need to figure out how I can connect with people that are going to be open to these ideas and, and switch things up. Um, Again, <clears throat> there's that balance between competition and connection because right. we need competition for feedback with each right. other, especially uh, people that are wired for um physicality mm -hmm. you know why we got into sports and why sports even exists in the first place and then in the extreme end of things there's war yeah um but i feel like it definitely been out of balance it's why i left like the strength and conditioning world it was just too much ego involved yeah. and and uh, i feel like we bring that balance to all those different domains yeah yeah, I agree with you. Like, there's a, a place for competition, but I also think there's different mindsets for competition, right? Is, is it, are you doing competition so that you can just improve yourself, or are you doing competition because you need to give yourself a false idea that you're better than somebody else, you know? And so that's what, with a lot of the competitors that I coach, I'm always telling them, like, listen, you're going in there to compete against yourself. You're going in there to be a better version of yourself. Like, at the end of the day, that hunk of metal that's hanging around your, your neck isn't really going to matter. It's what you learn in the competition. And if all you're learning is that you go in there, you beat somebody and you win a shiny piece of metal, you're missing the point of competition. So you're wasting those opportunities to grow, you know, but I think everybody kind of has to go through that phase as well. But yeah. when you see people that have been stuck in it for like 15 years, you're like, man, when are you going to get the point? You know, are you going to get the point? <laughs> yeah, because everybody's at a different developmental phase in their life. Right. So where they are learning that they really do want to be the best in their sport. They want to be the best in the world. Right. You know, and there's a place for that. But to have, I think, the mature sense is like when I look at your son, for example, um, he's, he's going to be competitive soon. But at the same time, he can also have that context of like, how can I become a better person, a better man, a better athlete, better teammate? At the same time, he's trying to win. Right, yeah, and that's a lot of what I talk to him about. Like, I've never pushed him into competition. You know, he's getting ready to be a freshman in high school. Um, and he's going out for the football team and all that. And I keep telling him, I'm, I'm like, listen, man, like, you just need to go out there and you need to put in the effort that you can and just like we talked about, I tell him, like, improve yourself, not so that you can look better than other people on the team, but so that you can be the best part of that team possible, so that you can, you can help, you can, you can improve yourself to improve everybody else. And I always say, like, I don't improve myself for me, I improve myself for we, you know? And so I've been trying to instill that in him, you know? And I think, yeah, he gets it. He, uh, it's, it's fun having conversations with him because I've been trying to share my lessons with him since he could understand what, you know, what I've been saying and you know even at he's 13 years old man and he's read he's read books that like I get 40 year old clients to read to change their their lives you know like stuff that changes their entire you know concepts on how they approach things and so he's uh yeah it's cool being able to see that you know with him but uh yeah man it's just like going back to some of the ego stuff like you're saying with the strength conditioning 
it has been interesting getting more into that, you know, like being in sort of combat sports and, and you know, coaching jujitsu for over 15 years and, and all that, like I've, I've been able to learn these different lessons and see how my name's not really important, right? Like to be able to uh, affect change in others, you have to build some type of brand. You have to you know, like set some type of mark. But, you know, there's a lot of people that I've like reached out to to try to learn from because all I want to do is be able to be the best coach I can. I want to be able to help people change to the best of my ability. And it's crazy how many people want to make that hard, you know, where if, if you're not willing to sort of like carry their flag or their banner, if you're not willing to feed their ego, you know, they don't really want anything to do with you or they get uncomfortable because I think they are in it for the wrong reasons. And when they start talking to me, I think it makes them sort of question their motives. And so then it's, it gets kind of weird. Not always. I mean, I have, I have some amazing mentors, you know, like I've, you know, Lauren Landau in Denver, who's now the head strength conditioning coach for the Denver Broncos has been one of my biggest supporters and, and is an active mentor of mine that, you know, anytime I have questions and I've gone out and I've shadowed him and I've done his mentorship programs and we've worked together with fighters like he's an amazing guy and he's always been open like any questions I have he's like here it is because he knows you know like he works more on the sports side but he understands my motivation and so he's he's in you know and then I run into some of these other people that yeah they're more interested in building their names like they want to leave their legacy like I want people to remember my name in 100 years I could give a shit if people remember my name but if they remember the things that I can teach them and then you know i mean and it's not like it's my lessons it's just things that i've learned that i'm passing on you know because i don't i'm not interested in building i'm not interested in building a mountain of followers underneath me that are holding me on top thinking that i've got all the answers and i'm the guru i try and really work with everybody in an educational sense so i'm trying to bring them up around me rather than underneath me because you know, hopefully some of them will surpass me, but I realize that if I'm able to sort of like bring some people up to areas where I'm at, we're gonna be able to connect on a better level and then they're gonna be able to contribute to my growth as well. And so it's that whole cycle, right? Of like having somebody, like we talked about this the other day, I always try to keep a cycle of like having people that I'm learning from, having people that are a little bit more on my level that I'm able to test myself against and not you know, in the full on competition, but being able to bounce ideas back and forth and say like, hey, this works for me, what works for you? And then having people that you're able to then share that information with. So that whole balance and that cycle, you know, I feel like constantly keeps me whole where um, I'm not getting that ego of feeling like everybody's underneath me. I always keep myself in check with like people that are above me and, and, and have stuff that I can learn from. And then, you know, also, you know, give it so i think that cycle is really a big contributor sort of like that confidence you know yeah it's interesting that all these industries had this higher hierarchical uh levels to it where you know you come in and you're, you're learning you have this like natural confidence and if we see it in our education system growing up we see it with our own parents where there's like you know do as i say kind of thing um not as i as I do, mm -hmm. and it just starts from there, and then you just see it like permeate all these industries where it's it's not about like uh, learning and growing and like how can we we can take feedback from each other and like make all of us better that we, but it's it's more like 
how can I dominate and be the best? And then um, when you come across, like we are, as we enter our 40s and we've learned all these life lessons mm-hmm. um, and we're just here to connect and to, to learn and these people don't know what to do with that, you know, like our presence alone, not that I'm like jerking my own chain or anything, but you can see like that they get insecure where before I would get insecure in their presence because I didn't really uh, feel uh, as clear and secure as I do now and confident. And so it's just like when I see that, I have more of a compassion for what's going on. and, And it's just what can I like how can I connect with them? If, if there's no connection, then maybe next time I interact with them. But it's it's amazing how you see um, how evident it becomes in that that kind of interaction with those types of people at that phase of life, and and uh, you know they get all uncomfortable. So it's just like why we were joking, man. Earlier, it was just like, bro, you're making me feel uncomfortable right now. You're really with your tattoos and scary, you know, looks and you're buffed. And so yeah, it's uh, it's interesting that um, have you like seen the same thing or yeah, for sure. Um, I think my wife notices it a lot more than I do. You know, where she can, you know, she'll see where some people I think get. Yeah, they do get uncomfortable because when we get into conversations, right, what, what are most people, most conversations and the way we've been taught to have conversations are like filler, right? Or they're like applications to try to impress somebody, you know? And, you know, I'll talk about the stuff that I do, but I'm not trying to impress anybody. Like, I'm just sharing it. And I think because of that confidence of what I'm talking about, and it's not about like, hey, look at me, look how cool I am, please like me. It's just like, hey, this is what I'm into. And then some people can't, they don't feel like they can connect like that. Like the, then they start to think like, oh, uh, I don't really know how to communicate on this level. So it, that's weird. It gets kind of isolating sometimes, you know, but I, I also like, um, like you were saying, I try to work through that when I feel it with somebody so that we can kind of find connections because I don't want people to feel like that either. Like, again, like that's not, I'm not trying to improve myself. So again, so I can be this guru and be like, oh, you should be like me. Like I want to improve myself so that people that see what I'm doing is positive that might make them want to be more positive but I, I'm not you know I, I don't want people to be uncomfortable but sometimes I think like my wife and I joke you know like hashtag get uncomfortable because that's what it takes for growth right like when things are when things feel too calm I know I'm not asking myself the right questions you know and, and some people will go years and years in their life without ever really having that you know they're searching for that comfort rather than like searching for that that discomfort because they don't understand what it actually means for their life you know it's not like i'm always trying to have chaos but um yeah that that it's it's a weird thing man having people have those reactions and i think i throw people off a lot of times because like you're you know you're joking like my tattoos and and you know being you know not like a monster right but i'm in shape and uh people look at me and they have this idea of who i am you know and one of the things i always joke about is like people look at my chin tattoo i got my chin tattoo when i was 20 years old right so people are they'll look at me and they'll judge me off of you know a decision i made at 20 like 21 years ago but to them they're thinking that's like my 
exactly, you know, my, my thought process now. So, you know, people will sometimes be curious about who I am or because of like my wife's business situation, I have to go to some of these functions with her that <laughs> wouldn't normally be, you know, around somebody like me or have gone out of their way most of their life to not be around people like me, you know, at least physically. Um, and I always kind of end up as like the weird guy in the room when we first get there. And by the end of the night, I'm like surrounded by people wanting to have conversation. And I, one of my favorite things is, is people tell me all the time, like, you're not what I expected, you know? And I, and I feel like that's, that's kind of been a benefit of like how heavily tattooed I am and sort of what people think when they see me. And then when they take the time to talk to me, um, I feel like I get to be kind of a walking lesson in like, don't judge a book by its cover, you know? Um, and I enjoy that. Not, again, for the ego stroke, but I enjoy it because then I think it makes people realize like, oh, I need to open up to different things, you know? Um, yeah, there's all these like sort of internal barriers and belief systems that we get confronted with and, right. and you know, people that are learning are constantly being tested that way where they're, they're coming across like a paradigm that they've been holding on to for dear life and then as soon as it doesn't match it's like a mismatch to their own perceptions of reality right they start freaking out whereas like i think our confidence comes from being able to persevere through these because over time and with life we've seen that these were like sort of these uh, epiphany moments or eureka moments that we were three feet from gold and if we just stay poised and we breathe through it mm -hmm. all of a sudden the solution like appears you know and we get this like greater understanding and context about that trigger initially it was always a lesson so our ability to be uncomfortable um, or comfortable with being uncomfortable and and that's our process now is we're like lean leaning into these things where you know, I think a lot of depression, and anxiety prevents people from exploring past it, but it's also a gift at the same time to use that energy and mm -hmm. to to uh, use as feedback, like, why am I feeling anxious and depressed right now? Well, you're probably depressed because you haven't, like, done anything new or novel. You've just been sort of doing the same Groundhog Day every day, and then maybe you're anxious because you really want to talk to that person you know like you want to ask that girl out or that guy out like who cares about like societal norms like mm -hmm. if you want something but you're just like anxious because you know you're, you're like i don't want to get rejected or whatever the reason is like these end up being like fuel for like a really awesome passionate life you know right yeah absolutely man i mean that's the that's the you know Hashtag get uncomfortable, right? And it, that what's, that the hard part is, like, going and doing stuff, right? I tell my son that all the time now that he's 13. You know, he's getting a little shy. I'm like, man, what's the worst that happens? Like, you go up and you introduce yourself and somebody doesn't want to be your friend? Okay. You know, so be it. But at least you, like, went through that process and you did it. Um, yeah, I can think about the times in my life where I did muster up that courage to, to do what I needed to and how it changed my life for the better. Whereas if I would have just stayed stuck in where I was, like, who knows? You know, because I, you know, I, like you were talking, I dealt with the depression and the anxiety stuff. And, and then, you know, we mentioned earlier that I'm married for the second time, but like, I kind of had to take the leap of stepping out of my first marriage and then, you know, 
the chance on sort of, you know, moving into the next stage to get to the level of happiness that I'm at now, you know? And if I had stayed where I was, like, who, uh, who knows? Like, I, I was already starting getting depressed. Like, life was on autopilot because I was trying to distract myself from the fact that I didn't feel whole or that I didn't feel like I was, you know, going the way that I should have, you know? Um, so, yeah, it's tough sometimes finding ways to teach people how to embrace that when they haven't experienced it, you know, but once they do start to experience when you have those breakthroughs, man, it's crazy watching the changes in people, you know, and it's cool. Like, it's awesome being like, man, that that's also part of what helps me love all the, the hard times that I had in my life. Because I'm like, man, like, look at when I see somebody who's taking some of the stuff that I share, even if it's just a story of what I've been through and how they deal with that depression or that anxiety and how appreciative they are of their life after that point. I'm like, man, it's awesome. Like it makes me be super grateful for the hard shit that I went through in my life. You know, I'm like, ah, thank you. Thank you that I had to deal with that. You know, I'm glad I didn't have the easy pat on the butt life, you know? <laughs> right. Yeah. It's uh, it's fascinating that the, um, ability to listen and to you know take this feedback because there's you know you're uncomfortable it's like why why am I that you know like um what keeps me up at night what am I thinking about constantly you know that I know I should be doing uh looking in the mirror and one of the big motivators for me is like at the end of my life will I have any regrets you know, and like, I don't want to like be on my deathbed going like, what if, right? right. Like, I want to freaking do everything I right. can in this tiny parentheses of life right. that as we know of, you know, <clears throat> I mean, we can go esoteric for sure, but we know for sure that this is going on, you know, and uh, the ability to like listen to ourselves, to like truly listen to other people and see like what's going on and if that other person like in a sort of communal jiu-jitsu way right i mean there's all these analogies and metaphors that way is to be able to like see what's going on um listen to like their voice like see the body language going on right and then even like around us so we were talking about that the other night like the ability to take in like huge amounts of data um with being in a flow like our flow state mm -hmm. it's it's like wow man like everything's so alive so rich went from like black and white to like full high definition right. color with like <laughs> subwoofers sound right and right. and even more so um what was your uh flow state uh in relating to like other people because i know you're you're an athlete so um that's pretty much like an easy way to like talk about like how we get into flow with sports but what was your flow moment or flow moment when you had a connection with a human being that you remembered for the first time i don't you know it's funny i don't know that i can completely pinpoint that but i feel like it happens on a more regular basis now, you know, like when, when we, you know, we're having that talk the first night you were here and we just, you know, talk for like three, four hours and um, you just get zoned in, you know, you feel like you're sort of like two people combined, just sharing your minds and, and exploring these ideas. And um, 
I've, I feel it differently now. I think I started noticing it maybe like 10 years ago where I would get into conversations with people and I knew when we were sort of in that flow and we were connected because I would start almost feeling high. And because of the experiences I had had on drugs, like I, like I would feel that shift. Like even when we've been talking here, right? Like I almost feel like there's that body buzz and like, like there's this altered state. And uh, it's interesting because there's times where I really get into that, that I feel like I go on autopilot. So it's like I'm talking with somebody, I'm giving them kind of what they need. And it, and it seems to be kind of going right where they need it to. And I almost feel like I'm just sitting back watching myself just let this stuff go because I feel in tune with um, who they are. And I know, you know, some of that's the, like you said, the esoteric, like, <laughs> stuff, yeah, yeah. you know, but I mean, there's, you know, I just, I think there's something to that, that energy and, and the fact that we are all just made of energy and that there is that kind of connection. And when people sort of drop their defenses and their barriers and how it puts them in tune with, what each other needs you know whether it's somebody that's giving and somebody that's taking right because it always has to be that give and take like it can't be like if i'm giving my energy to somebody they can't give it immediately right back otherwise it's going to kind of butt into itself so being able to sort of play in that like rhythm um i think takes some practice you know and you have to feel it it's one of those things like how do you explain flow to somebody that's never really felt it you know so it's i, I want to say it's probably been you know in the last 10 years that I've kind of been able to get into that. And I think a lot of that came through my experiences of coaching. Are you trying to play footy uh, with me right now? <laughs> so sexy. I see how you connect, um, man. <laughs> yeah. But it's, uh, yeah, I think jujitsu helped with that a lot too. Like learning how to coach that because you have so many different, you have so many different people that learn so many different ways that I had to learn how to kind of coach the same thing from so many different angles that again you're having to switch sort of like different observations and instead of just trying to teach somebody the way that i do it you have to sort of disconnect and sort of become multiple like facets of a yeah. diamond yeah. yeah yeah and so i think that's i started doing that more with jujitsu connecting with that and then yeah as people started coming to me for you know help and you know my buddies calling me talking to me about problems and all that stuff you just start finding that like like to me, like coaching and teaching is the same across the board. It just depends on what topic, you know, like it really, it, it seems like once I kind of know about something, I'm able to teach it kind of with the same, same uh, foundational concepts, you know? And so I think that that helps, you know? And I imagine it's the same thing when I started getting into jujitsu. I've had those points where you get into that flow where I'm literally like eyes closed and I'm not thinking at all. And I just feel like I'm kind of riding the wave. And those are the times when I'm sort of performing the best. Um, because you're taking kind of like that. It's not just sort of like what's here. You're able to open up and feel everything that's around, you know? Right. And being in flow is like really easy to be in and to approach again being uncomfortable so it's almost like you now start to seek out those weaknesses in yourself and seek out where it's uncomfortable so you can uncover and i like what we were saying the other night that learning something is not about like uh achieving or like 
um, grabbing something new. It was like a remembering feeling. Right. Yeah. 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 It's like, you know, I always, I always feel like that when I learn something, it's that aha moment of not like, oh, you're kind of like, oh, I remember, you know, it kind of feels like that. So, um, yeah, that's when you start getting a little bit more into like the, again, some of the more esoteric stuff of how I feel like we're kind of tapped into like a universal consciousness. Mm -hmm. All the information's there. It's just sort of a matter of what we've remembered or what we've kind of, our experiences have allowed us to kind of attach to, you know? And then that's part of why I feel like I have that drive to improve because then I'm sort of uploading that information and the more that that information gets uploaded, it's like the easier it is to get downloaded, you know? Yeah, it's, it's crazy because it's like a sense of adventure or a hero's journey and you uncover some treasures and why it does feel like to me a, a video game, you know, at, at this level of life is like, wow, you you looking for those like those openings, those uh, secret doors if you just code it right because you had like the patience and presence of mind you had you understood yourself you have your own like process or learning formula mm-hmm. that you you sort of uh embrace and then all of a sudden it's like everything starts opening up more synchronicities these awesome kind of conversations uh, more opportunities and then then you get to the place where you have to like learn how to like filter you know, all the uh, input that's coming in because, you know, like all of a sudden um, you get people that like see that like maybe uh, light or power or attraction and they want to exploit it. So that's like another level of learning is to be able to like discern like who's coming in that really truly want to be a part of what you're doing and I, I guess that's what's coming down to is like some of these industries that we're in when we see uh, professional athletes um, you know they have some sort of status in people's mind they're on a pedestal a guru some kind of high level teacher and people are like going to them because they want something in our case we wanted to learn from the best they were like our mentors, but in other cases, you see people wanting to exploit them, to market them, to make money off of them, and it's hard for them to know who to trust. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that there's definitely that. You know, like we, you know, we have somebody in common that, yeah. you know, we both care about and we've helped. And but seeing how many people, you know, try and take advantage of her, that even the people that she cares about, I think there's always that question in her mind of like, who's trying to get over on me? you know, and, uh, you know, I've run into that going back to sort of like some of the people I've reached out to to be like mentors is that like, I'll try to humble myself and show them that I just want to learn. And I think they get uncomfortable because they're like, what's this person's angle? What are they trying to get from me? You know, like, how are they trying to get over on me? And it's, you know, that's the hard thing about our culture is that even when you do really care and you just want to learn stuff so that you can share it, um, people are kind of taught to like grasp on to like what's theirs and, and right. uh, um, you see like the root of like marketing and advertising, which like drives us nuts, you know, because we're, you know, it's almost like now the thing is to authentic marketing, like be real, you know, like, and, um, you know, now people are trying to be real. So it's like on a manipulative end where they're just not just are or the isness they are like trying to be these things and it's it's coming off as like fake or phony you know and it's like 
no, you're not like trying to do it. There's no manipulation in that we feel with sort of traditional conventional marketing is all playing off of like people's insecurities. They're like pointing out like the American dream picture. And if you don't have this, if you don't have like status or celebrity or some sort of money or, or sex angle or whatever, it's like, like, you know, um, I have that, that answer. So you come to me, you know, and I'll show you the way, right. And it's just like, or you buy my product and I will fulfill that temporary void in you and you're going to feel amazing. And then you reach a goal. I mean, even with goal setting, you know, like you reach a goal and you're like, Oh shit, man. Like this is, isn't what I thought I was going to feel. It's like, yeah, I partied, I reached it, but like now what? Like I just feel even more empty. It's like, Oh, okay. I reached a million dollars in status. Like now I got to go for like 10 million and a hundred million and you know, more followers on social media. And like, I'm, you know, and then you get to these levels and you're like, fuck man, I feel like even more empty, more alone. Uh, I don't know who the fuck to trust, you know? Right. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, I think you're right. Like it's it's uh I really try to embrace the journey, not the goal, right? Like the goals are what help you kind of stay on target. But, you know, yeah, it's not like it's a sports game. Like the goal isn't the end of the game or the goal isn't the end of the field. Like the goal is just one mark on that path, you know, and and uh I think being too like I I am very big into goal setting, but I see it for like the benchmarks that it is because I know the times where I've gotten like so goal oriented, like you said, you start chasing that high of reaching the goal and then you're always chasing that feeling rather than actually chasing the path that you're on. Like you lose sight of it, you know, like it, it stops being, it almost gets perverted, you know? Yeah. And then. Yeah. Cause you can't embrace like the, uh, the lower tones of like the orchestra, the music, right? right? Like, like I think a fully integrated human being is able to experience the full spectrum of emotions of life and not get attached to like the high ones or the low ends. If you're depressed and anxious, you can like ride these like emotions with this, uh, a level of uh, being comfortable you know, like really going for it when you're feeling like most alive, but when you're like feeling depressed and like uh, not full of life, like even look at that and go, oh my gosh, you know, I think I'm in a a, a marination, like dormant state right now. Like there's always these cycles with the seasons and seeds, you know, and you start to understand you see this all around us with life and on this planet. You're like, holy shit, man. Like I'm just going through a, a period where my brain is is like marinating and picking up information and, and digesting it and simulating it. And then all of a sudden it, it like turns into like a new being or baby or uh, an idea or like a, a product or a creation, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I think that's a lot of like what we talked about the other day when, when we were talking about sort of like the, the concept of evolution and kind of, you know, just to touch on it real quick, I know we're running out of time, was, you know, and this kind of came from when I was reading uh, um, Tom Campbell's book, My Big Toe, right? And he is kind of, you know, a physicist, and he, but he's into sort of consciousness and all that, and he's kind of talking about these ideas of consciousness, but it's like looking at, um, looking at uh, things that you're trying to learn 
with a sense of or, or environments that you're in with a with an idea of entropy right like if it's high entropy there's all this chaos everywhere like there's no organization and the the more organization that comes to the system the more you start to put things together the lower entropy gets and then once that that energy gets kind of all connected enough then it's sort of like it propels you to be able to take that evolution to the next step but then as soon as you take that next step all that energy then explodes out again into chaos which it then now you have to start putting order to it and so it's like this whole cycle in our lives of like okay i learned this but there's no end like there's just no end you know and like the things that do have an end you know like some things do have an end game those are the things i lose like interest in when i can beat something or when i can figure something out i'm like yeah okay i'm gonna go to something else so it's one thing that i love about like jujitsu you know or even like the strength conditioning like there's always new information nutrition there's always new information so no matter how many times you level up you know what i mean you're you also you always level up to the next point where there's you know harder harder puzzles to figure out and harder bosses to deal with and and you know but it's just that constant cycle and, and uh you know it's it makes life invigorating when people, when you can look at that with like seeing the opportunities rather than um, feeling the opposition or feeling the frustration because yeah. people will figure something out, right? Or, and all of a sudden they realize there's more to figure out and then they're like, oh, fuck, man. Yeah, yeah. Or I'm like, yeah, all yeah, right. You know, I yeah. might have that, oh, fuck moment for a minute, but yeah. then, you know, you're like, all right, let's yeah, do this. Let's man. do this. Yeah. Let's have fun. And so that's yeah. kind of like the final thing as we wrap up is like, fucking have fun with this yeah. life, man. Like, <laughs> fuck, it's so short. Like, I'm like, it blew by so quick. We're in, yeah. We hit 40s, yeah. you know, now. And it's just like, wow, man. Like, so I'm like excited for what's, what's next, knowing what we know, you know? Yeah. And, um, any like, uh, final thoughts, uh, and then also like, how can people find out more about you, Josh Ford? Um, we have the, the website for, um, for the, the new gym I'm opening up. It's called Thrive Performance and Fitness and it's just thriveperformancecenter.com. Um, easiest way to you know there's a email links on there and all that kind of stuff if people ever want to talk about any of that side of thing um uh my personal instagram i think is like josh ford 1313 um but i mean no i mean i think we touched on some good stuff man you know like we were talking about the other day like these are the conversations that i live for you know and these are like why i tell my kids like when you get to experience these conversations like when my son was with us and jen the other day i was like man these are real conversations. Jen Fizzell. Yeah. Shout out. Hi, Jen. Um, but yeah, I mean, seeking that stuff out, like have those real conversations, like let people see who you are, like embrace that vulnerability, right? Like when you're, when you're trying to improve, like when you're trying to prove to people that you're strong, then you're just kind of a lot of times masking that insecurity, right? You're not going to be able to deal with it. So fuck it, man. Let people know who you are, right? And if, they don't like you at that moment tough shit like some people will and some people will embrace it and it's only gonna it's only gonna give you rocket fuel to advance your life yeah you it's know? the best filter like yeah. the more you are who you are then you see who you don't want to be around right because right? they're just get uh or you make allowance for them to uh work with their own stuff as they face you yeah you know but at the same time it's like oh you can see that they're uncomfortable they're judging you they're not able to have these 
kind of conversations like we're having now then it's like well you know they're just not ready you know they're not ripe so right but at the same time you don't have to like let them suck all your energy away you know right, right. yeah you know, it's like vampires <laughs> yeah <laughs> the lost boys yeah yeah so <laughs> wayne's world wayne's world party time excellent <laughs> Be excellent to each other and party on, everybody. <laughs> thank you, Josh, for uh, coming on, brother. Yeah, thank you, man. It's my pleasure. Yeah, yeah. Awesome, man. It's been awesome. Hey, everybody. Thank you again for tuning in and listening to the most awesome, incredible Josh Ford. What an awesome, amazing human being. Just awesome, 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 awesome. Yeah, check him out. He has the Instagram at joshford13. He's going to be opening his new gym, thriveperformancecenter.com. So check him out. If you are in the Maryland, Washington, D.C. area, check out that gym. Work out with them and say hi. Tell them that you heard about Hangry and Horny. <laughs> Thank you so much for listening, and I would like to give a shout-out to the sponsors of the show, DroppinFBomb.com. If you guys want some good fats in your diet that just helps you with cognitive and intellectual and sexual abilities, then go to their website. Use the promo code FLOWREAL, F-L-O-W-R-E-A-L, and get 20% off your first order of nut butters and amazing oils. They even have cool merchandise like t-shirts. So check out droppinfbomb.com and order yourself some yummy, yummy fats. Thank you so much for listening, everybody. And see you on the next episode of Hangry and Horny. Peace.